Welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology, a 12-episode podcast series hosted by Emma Marti, a senior at Piedmont University. Emma and a guest will be discussing and dissecting a theory, all while questioning the origin of the claims. Host Emma Marti and all guests are not supporting any theories, but simply looking at information to dive into the belief of the theory. For the first episode of Conspiracy Theoryology, I had the chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Melissa Tingle, Associate Professor of Mass Communications and Associate Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Piedmont University. This episode is all about the psychology behind conspiracy theories. Tell me about your education and why you're qualified to talk about like psychology, conspiracy theories. Basically, why did I pick you? So why am I qualified to talk about conspiracy theories? Well... There's a couple of reasons. Psychology and communication are very closely related. Communication is kind of the cornerstone discipline in academia that borrows from psychology. It borrows a little bit from anthropology, from sociology, um, from biology. There's so many different factors um, that come into the field and the discipline of communication. And so having a PhD in communication, I can talk authoritatively in some contexts about psychology and psychological effects with regards to their impacts on the way we communicate and the reasons why we do the things that we do and think and communicate the ways that we do. So, um, and as far as conspiracy theories, well, gosh, I'm a conspiracy theory aficionado. I thought you were going to say you're a conspiracy theorist. I was like, oh, no. No, not quite. I mean, they exist, and there are some things that I could probably subscribe to with my belief system, um, but, you know, logic prevails most of the time. So I don't like things that get a lot of hype. I like kind of the more obscure things that like, okay, you're, you're Monday morning quarterbacking it going, that's actually pretty plausible if you think about the history of something. So I remember one conspiracy theory came about, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Dan Brown. He wrote the books, uh, Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they made those into movies with Tom Hanks. And so I was in a philosophy and religion class. I was in my undergraduate program and I had to take this to satisfy one of my areas and we were talking about angels and demons but and I'm sorry we were talking about da Vinci Code first because the whole basis of da Vinci Code is that Jesus Christ had a child and that child's blood was royal blood that was passed through different lineages on down the line and it was the job of um, certain sects and and uh, groups to protect the the um, descendant of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? So all of these different knights of the, you know, yes. Templar and all this other kind of stuff developed as a result of it. And so the interesting thing is that the the world of Christianity kind of went into an uproar as a result of it because they were like, no, you know, one of the things that in their mind in Christianity, both Roman Catholicism and Protestantism and all of its different divisions and denominations is that Christ was celibate Mm -hmm. because someone who was the son of God could never have sex or procreate or be married. Um, And really, if you look at biblical texts, that's not really founded in anything at all whatsoever. So Dan Brown kind of challenged modern conventions of Christianity as to who Christ was. So then that sparked a bunch of conspiracy theories because people were looking back going, okay, well, if Jesus did get married, who did he get married to? Okay, well, it would have been Mary Magdalene because she was, you know, the most prominently featured 
female in the in in Christ. And what does this mean about um, what does this mean about uh, like Mary and the immaculate conception and mm-hmm. things? With um, you know, if Jesus was the Son of God, you know, did that mean that Mary could have sex, or did she have to be a virgin? Was that the Roman Catholic Church doing revisionist history and rewriting the canons when they all, you know, decided to do that? So. I mean, I'm just kind of giving you a Reader's Digest overview, layman's terms. But, yeah, I mean, conspiracy theories are, are pretty interesting. They impact everything that we do, mm-hmm. um, and they permeate, permeate all sorts of media throughout society. So, And I think that's also why it makes it so interesting to individuals as well as how it impacts things that are really near and dear to our heart that are closely held beliefs mm-hmm. and values. Yeah. And so when those get challenged or those get confirmed, it evokes this visceral emotional yeah. reaction um, from individuals. So anyway. Yeah, I really like what you said about the whole psychology aspect of it, too, because I came to Piedmont as a psychology major, and I feel like in the back of my mind, I still well, now I'm a mass communications major, and I, in the back of my mind, I still feel like I am doing psychology because I really am analyzing like how communication affects how a story is told or how information gets across to people, and I, I just find that so interesting, and that's the whole reason why I wanted to have this as my topic and have this topic be the first episode of the podcast because I feel like it sets a good basis. Why do people entertain ideas that they know like can't be possible? Um, this kind of comes back to that cross-section of psychology and communication where humans crave predictability. Mm-hmm. We tend to move away typically from things that are uncertain, uh, uncertainties, um, unpredictabilities, chaos. We like to move away from those. And so believing in conspiracy theories um, kind of give us this element of certainty, even if it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. We're always asking the reason why. Like you just said, we're asking the reason why. Exactly. Why this? Why that? And so we have to craft these stories, even if they're completely baseless, to help satisfy that why factor. Yeah. And sometimes they gain traction and develop into full-blown conspiracy theories. Sometimes there's a snowball. Yeah, a snowball effect where people just feed into it and mm-hmm. it grows and it grows and it grows. But I think you'll find that a lot of conspiracy theories are start out based in fact exactly um you know it's or the perception of truth i should say rather rather than fact but um i think that's why people entertain those ideas because i mean if you think about it for a second let's let's think about it in a different context um why are people so obsessed with death and understanding why people die one of the reasons why we kind of have this morbid curiosity, it's the same reason we all rubberneck when somebody crashes on the side of the road and we see, you know, something that, oh, is it a fatality or is yeah. are they okay, you know, kind of situation. Because ultimately, there's two things at play. First is we just have a morbid curiosity because we crave predictability, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to know the answer to something. We want to know why because we hate uncertainty. But also, one of the reasons we want to know why is because we want to avoid behaviors leading to death yeah, or leading to discomfort or leading to more uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So if we can rationalize the reason why and satisfy our own morbid curiosity that gives us a sense of safety, yeah. 
um, which is a total psychological factor that we grapple with on a daily basis. You see someone in a crash on the side of the road and you lead in those factors like, oh my God, it was raining. Oh my God, you know, they were driving too quickly. Oh my God, this happened. Well, if I avoid these behaviors, then I will avoid death too. Exactly. And that's kind of the, the, the playback that we go through our minds. So with conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories a lot of times arise out of bad things that happen and bad things that happen to good people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you also have the rando ones like, you know, the moon landing conspiracy theory, like it didn't really happen. But does that actually have consequences for us? Think about it for a second. Does us never actually having landed on the moon and all of it being fabricated have consequences for us as humanity? Yes and no, because I feel like yes, because we put such blind trust in like the government and the people who are telling us like we landed on the moon. Mm -hmm. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Like it's so far away. Like logically, it doesn't make sense to me. But I I know there's like technology and stuff that it is possible. But like, I think the biggest thing that makes conspiracy theories harmful, in my opinion, is just blind trust and just no facts. Yeah, that's exactly right. So this blind trust kind of gives people a sense of security Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't otherwise achieve. So they're more likely to believe it, even if all facts point to, oh, it can't be possible. It's, it's illogical. It's impossible. So to answer your question, they do because they crave that certainty when they're experiencing uncertainty. And they want to know that there's an answer for why. I don't want to get super, super deep, but let's just take, so the moon landing. I wouldn't say that there is a huge societal harm that takes place if it, the moon landing didn't actually happen and it was all a conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, apart from the disbelief in government and distrust in government, which we experience on a daily basis anyway. Yeah. So really, we're just entering into the confirmation bias phase, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where we're just having pre-existing notions yeah. being confirmed by yet further evidence, exactly. right? But let's think about back when COVID hit Mm -hmm. and there were so many people who did not believe that COVID was real. And there was a lot of controversy surrounding, you know, COVID and is this another government ploy to control us? Is it real? Is it not real? I mean, even if the facts all pointed to, even though the scientists and the government didn't necessarily agree on everything and the government did exercise a level of control that was unprecedented in history. I think we can all acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. That has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the virus was real and whether or not it had a death component to it. Mm -hmm. You know, now we can run comparisons and things like that, like, oh, compared to the flu, was the COVID is deadly, you know, so on. And we can can play that game. (laughs) But that's not the fundamental question. The fundamental question is, you know, is it harmful to believe in a conspiracy theory when that belief turns into action or inaction that brings harm, then yes. So people ignore, you know, certain COVID protocols when they show up to work sick. And I'm like this about any disease. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be COVID. It could be the flu. It could be strep throat. My God, how many times did I get strep throat when I started teaching? Because people would just send their kids to school or college Mm -hmm. kids would come to class and they had strep and I would touch something that they had touched, but they had been coughing in their hand and then I pick up strep. I mean, it's just basic human decency to wash your hands and stay away if you're sick and quarantine until you're not contagious anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been on antibiotics for 24 hours, but people just don't do that because people are kind of gross, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so when it leads, when the belief in a conspiracy theory leads to action or inaction that then becomes harmful, that Mm -hmm. makes the conspiracy theory harmful. But in and of itself, the idea is not, but ideas do have consequences. I agree 100%. I could not have said it better myself. 
and we know that. <laughs> um, so that really answers like the why people why do people choose to ignore blatant facts or evidence? Like, yes, there are pictures of people on the moon. There's the pictures of flags on the moon and stuff. So that is technically evidence. But we know, like, pictures can be fabricated, so mm-hmm. there's that little seed of doubt in your mind that's just like, maybe this is fake. For theory and research, in my class that I took fall of 2021, we learned about various communications theories, and two that really stood out to me and helped with my research were confirmation bias and selective exposure. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, let me read the definition super quickly. So confirmation bias is the idea that by seeking to confirm what we already believe in to be true, we may look for evidence to support that notion and overlook what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And then selective exposure, they're both very similar and work hand in hand. When we seek out confirming information and avoid disconfirming information. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So how do these theories really relate to how conspiracy theories spread? I think you have to really get into the psychology of why people develop conspiracy theories to mm-hmm. begin with. Um, a lot of times you'll find um, pre-existing views, whether they're political views, social views, religious views, um, that kind of inform what they believe already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start to craft these stories and these theories that play into those. So we have something, in addition to selective exposure and confirmation bias, you have things called um, like echo chambers and filter yes. bubbles and stuff. So echo chambers are where people only want to entertain or encounter information when it reinforces their own biases or pre-existing views, which is very close to confirmation bias. And in this instance, you only seek out information that confirms Mm -hmm. those things and it creates this echo and you start listening to other people who just echo back your own views and you feel like you're supported and reinforced in those views, which emboldens you to Mm -hmm. then build upon that and create this full-blown conspiracy theory. And then you also have the filter bubble, which kind of leads into this next idea of what role social media plays in conspiracy theory. So filter bubbles um, happen when we find ourselves surrounded by information that really just exists to confirm our own biases. um, And we're kind of sheltered from opposing perspectives or differing views. Um, Filter bubbles can distort things. And we see this not just interpersonally in conversations and how we consume information, but also in social media with algorithms, website algorithms, where they're looking at what we're looking at. I mean, hell, TikTok has a for you page, right? And what do you think that is? That's just a modernized version of a filter bubble Mm -hmm. where they're just reinforcing our own viewpoints by exposing us to more of our own viewpoints, but just represented (laughs) by different people. So it it really impacts our ability to evaluate certain situations and become critical consumers of media. Mm -hmm. Um, We start to see this idea of reading and media literacy decline as confirmation bias, filter bubbles, and echo chambers rise through the use of internet and social media. So um, that's always kind of a a dark side of of communication, especially with conspiracy theories, right? So conspiracy theories have always existed, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they've been as widespread as they are now because we have full unfettered access to those ideas for sure in social media there is no censorship yeah. or there is no journalistic regulation of it yeah with the internet and with social media mm-hmm. like maybe in previous years like pre-90s yeah. there was but not not anymore not anymore not Fun. anymore yeah and if you get a clever hashtag to go along with it then it's done it's viral oh, it's yeah. sold and mm-hmm. it's truth now now that is the new truth 
Exactly. <laughs> Everything on the internet's true. That's right. Don't question anything. Assassin scrolls are a real thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that just clicks with confirmation bias and selective exposure when it's like, I don't want to feel like I'm wrong, so why would I search information that's going to make me feel like I'm wrong? Yeah. So I don't see anything harmful in those until it becomes harmful because without seeking out differing opinions and different viewpoints, you're never going to grow as a person mm -hmm. and you're just going to continue to believe the harmful things. So like with the moon landing, that's not inherently harmful, but if you're not looking at all the facts, you're never going to get the full story. Yeah, that's right. You're yeah. absolutely right. I think, I think our own self-serving notions of validation kind of get in the way of processing things in, in an appropriate and healthy mm -hmm. way. Um, you know, again, going back to just the consumption of media and having media literacy as we move through these things. I mean, really, which is more valuable is validation. Just having stuff that feels good, that makes you feel good, even if it confirms your own biases because you feel validated or being challenged in your ideas by differing perspectives, but still coming out on top and being validated as a result. Which one's more valuable? I mean, for the lazy people, it's going to be one where they're not challenged at all. <laughs> That's right. But like, in my opinion, I like to be challenged because like you said, when you're challenged and you still prove that, yes, I'm correct. Yes, I can still do X, Y, or Z. That feels better because you overcame a challenge. So like, if you really do believe the moon landing was fake, but then you're talking to people who are like, there's no way it was fake. And you can actually ask and be like, well, why? Like, can you prove to me and like, show me what you believe so that I can understand how you think that way. And then if you still want to believe what you want to believe, fine, but at least you listen to both sides of the story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or we could just conjure up Neil Armstrong's ghost and ask Perfect. him directly. Yeah. Why not? That's easy. <laughs> there we go. Because ghosts can't lie or no. can they? I mean, that's up to them. <laughs> I feel like that's up to them. We're going to have a new full-blown conspiracy theory. Can ghosts tell the truth or do they lie? That could be your next episode. Nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what do you think the biggest harm is in believing in conspiracy theories? Yeah, when it leads to harm against people, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Ideas have consequences. Exactly. Because in and of itself, believing in aliens, nothing wrong with that. But when you want to go storm Area 51 and all the other stuff happens where, like, people can actually get hurt, that's when it turns into unsafe. Yeah, but then Bad you idea. have the people who are storming Area 51 believing in their noble goal. And what if it turns out that they're right? Mm, does that does the end justify the means? And I think that's ultimately yeah. what it reduces down to in conspiracy theories, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're proven right, does the end justify the means? Hmm. I think it would depend on the situation because like the aliens one, that's like, in my opinion, aliens are just something fun to think about. But then I was talking to my cousin and she was like, well, I think aliens are real, but there's no way that the government would actually let us know because people would spiral and life would just be forever changed. Would it, though? Because it came out during COVID that there was evidence that alien existed in the government, released all of that stuff, and nobody paid attention because it was That's in the middle true. of a pandemic. Then that was just a strategic release of information. I know, probably. right? <laughs> people are dying all around us. They don't care if there's exactly. aliens or not. <laughs> They're exactly. self-centered. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's like... With the other theories, like, obviously with, like, the JFK, like, the two-shooter theory and everything, like, if that is proven to be correct, I feel like the ends would definitely justify the means there. 
Yeah, because somebody would have been wrongfully accused or yeah. somebody would have been overlooked. Yes. Yeah, and we like to get the bad guys. We do. I yeah. mean, that's ideal. Yeah. What happens? I think what happens in conspiracy theories is that sometimes we end up being the bad guys. I mean, that's true. <laughs> like, there is danger in thinking. Yeah. Like, just thinking of stuff. Okay, so I guess to wrap up, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? I mean, it's got to be going back to the the Dan Brown Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. Was Christ married? Because if you if you go down that rabbit hole, it's entirely plausible that the Roman Catholic Church, when they canonized the Bible, left out so much information that did not jive with their political gender sex beliefs and all of that stuff of the day and age when it was canonized right so Mm -hmm. obviously we had the oppression of women the church should be sole control communicating you know information to individuals they should be the only people that can read you know they're in control it's it's a method and mechanism of social control right so if you think about it you're like okay well, I know the Roman Catholic Church was corrupt in some aspects when all of this was happening. So could they have written out and done revisionist history and Christ really have been married and really had a child? And when you think about all of the controversy surrounding it, you find out, well, the answer is yes, it is possible. It is mm-hmm. plausible. And then you kind of move back from that and you're like, okay, if Christ did get married and did have a child, does that impact his actual divinity? And then you start evaluating your religious beliefs, right? Because everybody's like, okay, immaculate conception, like sex is sin and it's taboo, right? So Jesus could have never had sex. Mary could have never had sex and conceived Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then if you really operate off of the original premise of Christianity is that God is omnipotent and he's all powerful and he's all knowing and omnipresent. And aren't we putting God in a box by saying, hey, you can't have somebody be your only begotten son if the mother had sex with somebody else. I mean, that's putting God in a box, isn't it? So then you go deeper down the rabbit hole, right? And you're like, okay, so Jesus could have been married and had a kid and that didn't impact his divinity. He can still be the savior, the Messiah. Mary could have had sex at her early age with Joseph or whoever it was and had Jesus and him still have been the only begotten son. So why is why is it that we adhere to that story and it has to be played out the way that we want it to play out? Mm-hmm. You know, divinity is divinity, right? God is God. God surpasses everything. And really, wouldn't it be more impactful if if Jesus was supposed to be God incarnate, but he embraced every human mm-hmm. context, situation, and operation while he was here on earth? Wouldn't that yeah. make him even more? Because he was supposed to be like... He was supposed to be the savior that saved everyone from their sins, right? Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't he experience the full human experience and the full human life and then still be God's son and then still die and be resurrected? Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't that be more meaningful? Like, why do we have to put him up on this pedestal in this ivory tower Mm -hmm. and say, no, he was without sin completely? I mean, that honestly goes back to the whole thing about like getting both sides of the story, like you feel more complete like when you're challenged and everything so I feel like it would just make more sense if Jesus did sin or like wasn't the perfect human being because he understands the human experience and everything yeah 
that's going to make me question everything because I went to like a Christian school growing up and everything and I'm going to have like a crisis now. Yeah, but it's okay. It's okay to have crises of faith. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have crises of conscience. It's okay to have crises of facts and truth and things like that. I mean, we have to challenge our world beliefs so that we can figure out where exactly we stand. We're not standing on the shoulders of others and their beliefs. We're standing on our own. Exactly. So I love challenges like that because to me, I mean, regardless of what I believe, like, I just think it's fun to kind of pick away and dig at. That's how I am. That's why I wanted to do conspiracy theories and everything. (laughs) Because I'm like, whether or not I believe in them is a different story. But I just love learning about like, why do people think this? And like, what led them to think this? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. This was very fun. And yeah. We will have another episode, so. Woohoo! Yay! Yay! Thank you for listening to Conspiracy Theoryology. Be sure to tune in every Friday for a new episode with host Emma Marti. Keep an eye open, someone's always watching.